HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello, Greenhorns. It is a rainy, rainy day in the Hudson Valley. I am your host once again for Greenhorns Radio, um, radio for young farmers, by young farmers, and um, discussing issues relevant, we hope, to many of you who are, we hope, young farmers. If not currently, then perhaps in a few years. Um, My name is Severin, and this is a radio show sponsored by Hearst Family Ranch. I am joined today gleefully, although slightly moist, um, by Mikey. Mikey Azara in New Jersey. Are you there? I am here. Thank you, Hello, Severin. welcome. Thank you. Um, well, we are excited to have you on the show today, or I am, um, to talk about some of the less uh, glamorous and yet super critical in-between parts of the food system. Of course. Namely, uh, the distribution and coordination of logistics um, in the vegetable kingdom. Mm-hmm. Why would it be that we would invite you in to talk about that, do you think? Well, um, I'm not sure what, uh, what range our, what geographic range our listeners are, but I am here in, uh, the Garden State, so, um, essentially representing New Jersey farmers and Eastern Pennsylvania farmers, um, <clears throat> for, um, for a long time now, since about 2003, I came back and I've been, A, working on the farms, B, educating um, and trying to connect all the dots. And then um, after about five years working for NOFA, Northeast Organic Farming Association, I I stepped down to essentially just fill in um, a void that I, that I saw that needed to be filled, which was um, distribution. So, um, do you so you worked in the farm, you worked in the office, and now you're now you're moving around um, boxes and trucks and computer computer timetable. Right, right. No, yeah, it was a lot of well, it, yeah. Nofa was a lot of office work, but I was the outreach coordinator, so I was I was also out and about connecting connecting all the people in the food system. Um, you know, taking lots of photos and coordinating field days, et cetera. So, um, it's not that dissimilar because, um, I mean, I get out and about, but a lot of times I need to be on email and phone um, taking orders, et cetera. So, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I guess it was spring of 2008, um, a couple farmers had me out to their farm and they said, you know, we were just at this conference and, you know, there's interest, you know, uh, uh, 
on the sh- on the side of chefs to buy local stuff, but but most of the time they're struggling to to get it to their back door. Um, so they said, you know, it, it appears distribution is the missing link, and you know all the farmers and you know all these chefs, and so this one farming couple actually uh, out in eastern Pennsylvania they offered to loan me their truck for the first year, um, mm-hmm. and so that was how Zone Seven, which we named it, um, was born. So let's start. Let's start from the beginning. Yes. What's your name, and what do you do right now? Yeah. <laughs> um, Mikey, Azara, and um, in New Jersey here, I do I do all kinds of things. But most of the time, I am running this Zone Seven, distrib- you know, Farm Fresh distribution business. Um, so each week, Sunday night and Monday morning, I'm on the phone. I talk to all these farmers. Then we put out a list to all the chefs and grocery stores and some schools. And the list um, basically could be anywhere from four to eight pages long. It lists the farm names, the products, the prices, you know, how many bunches you need to buy and all that kind of stuff. And then for the remainder of Monday and Tuesday, I'm taking orders by phone and email. Then we call all the farmers up and tell them what we need. They get harvesting. And then we pick up from all the farms Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Then we reorganize and deliver it Wednesday afternoon to central New Jersey and eastern Pennsylvania. And then Thursday, we hit North Jersey. Friday, I teach school garden classes here in my hometown. And um, Sunday, I run the Lawrenceville Farmer's Market here in my hometown. So so this is what we call... That was a beautiful rundown, by the way. This is what we call small-scale distribution. Yes. And this is a this is a model that is practiced by you for your your little basin of food producers in right. the city, mm-hmm. and which is which is how how many little basins or little funnels are um, going in and out of New York City that are similar to you? Well, you know, I mean, we do not. We actually do not sell to New York City restaurants and chefs just yet. Um, we came in for the New Amsterdam farmers, the New Amsterdam market last um, last fall, and we're looking forward to it again this uh, this season. I just received an update that they will be launching their their season uh, in May, I believe, with monthly markets. But um, right now we right now we 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 sell to North Jersey, but we have not gotten into the city just yet. But that's in your sights. Of course, of course. So, yeah, we're entering year three now. Um, this year we had about uh, 50 customers. We do an average of about 30 deliveries a week. Um, essentially, the way I view it is we've been working out the kinks with the people with, with the people that we know, with the chefs that I've known for a long time, so that when we, when we eventually do get into Philadelphia and New York City, we essentially have our act together, which we're, we're pretty close to that. Which you probably have to do because I have heard these New York Shark chefs are pretty ruthless. Right, exactly, exactly. You don't want to, I mean, one of the challenges, and I try not to think about this too much, but, I mean, you want the chefs to, you know, place an order and then really kind of count on those products. Um, but when you when you think about the fact that it's, in, in our case this past year, coming from over 20 different farms, so we're, you know, we're picking up from over 20 different farms, you know, there's so many different variables and it's not like we have this, um, you know, huge kind of like 
wholesale market to fall back on. I mean, if the farmer didn't have it, you know, I might be able to make a last-minute call to somebody, you know, another farmer to see if they have time to harvest it. But um, it is challenging to make sure that every item on every order is is really there. <laughs> a lot of balls, <laughs> so anyway. a lot of balls to drop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Now, but but let's let's talk in terms of why is this important and and what um what is the key um underlying truth about the food system that your business clearly demonstrates um and let's talk about vegetables price point and dollars per acre. Wow. Okay. Well, whatever. You yeah, 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 yeah. You want to talk about. Um, why well, is this? Why is it important? What you do in terms of making farmers and farmers money? Well, well, here, here's a few, a, a few um, things to get it rolling. Um, when I was at NOFA, I would coordinate these farmer chef meetings, and so we'd bring together anywhere between fifty and seventy-five farmers and chefs. And everybody would introduce themselves, you know, talk about what they're growing, what they're looking for, exchange business cards. I would make a list of all the, you know, of all the farms and all the restaurants, you know, best ways to reach everybody. Um, but then when I would follow up about a month or two later and say, how's it going? You know, who have you followed up with? Um, very, I would say very few of the, the farms and the chefs really uh, were able to make it work. And so... I had to ask them, well, what are the challenges, you know, and one is just time in the day. You know, either the farms or the chefs didn't have time on top of what they were already doing to to really make those connections. Um, I realize now how hard it is to get a chef on the phone. Um, you know, sometimes you have to call them three or four times to get them on the phone and get and get the order. And even though I know they want the stuff, sometimes it seems like, you know, could you just call me and place an order? <laughs> um, so that's one thing, time in a day. The other thing is just, um, you know, resources for distribution. You know, do the farmers have a suitable vehicle, you know, uh, ideally some kind of refrigerated vehicle, refrigerated truck, so in, in the, the height of the summer, um, you know, everything doesn't wilt on the way to the restaurant. Gotta um, be cold. You know, how many farmers, you know, I, of course the young generation of farmers is on email. But, you know, having worked with farmers, email is not the best way to get farmers, you know. Some now have cell phones, so that works well. But sometimes you can only get the farmers either before 7 a.m. when they leave, you know, when they leave the house or after after dark. Um, so it doesn't always work for the farmer to get in touch directly with the chefs. And then for the for the farmer to deliver it at a a convenient time for the chefs. I mean, they need it, say, you know, before three or four o'clock if they're going to use it that evening. Um, so it could be their schedules don't match exactly. Um, that all said, I do still continue to you know advocate going direct when possible. You know, that means the farmer's going to get the most dollar. Um, it means the chef's going to get the best price. Obviously, they'll know they'll really, really know the farmer that that that's producing it. Um, but you know, we we tr- we try to provide a, a the second best alternative um, for everybody. So, in terms of I mean, in terms of profits for these farms, um, we are not the primary outlet for any one of them, which is kind of how I like it. 
um, they all go to you know either farmers markets or have a CSA program. Um, and so what we try to do is actually take their early week harvest. So for all the farmers out there, um, you know, you're harvesting your eggplant, you know, three times a week. Um, you know, what are you doing with it when you harvest it on Monday or Tuesday? You know, most of the good farmers markets are either later in the week, on the weekend. Um, so we try to take that early week harvest. So we talk to the farmers Sunday night or Monday morning, say, what do you have a lot of that you'd like us to sell for you? Um, so we know that, I mean, just just with our year at numbers, I mean, we paid some farmers $30,000, um, you know, for, on their end, not that much of a headache. Um, or a headache that they've already got going. Yeah, exactly. And it's just a little bit of extra here and there, and you have to yeah. plan ahead and plan a lot for your CSA. Mm-hmm. And, and then suddenly, you know, you have bumper this, bumper that, or yeah. you plan extra of easy stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so I, you know, so I, I don't have um, prices per acre. But what I usually say, um, in terms of what, in terms of what prices we we work with, is when I started this, I knew that chefs were willing to pay somewhere between wholesale and retail. You know, so say you're selling, you know, a bunch of beets for two fifty or three dollars a bunch. Um, wholesale is then a dollar twenty-five a bunch, or a dollar fifty. You know, assuming you're selling a larger volume than one bunch, you know, several cases, which would be twenty-four bunches or twelve bunches. Um, so generally, we, you know, we can find somewhere in between retail and wholesale for the farmer to get. Um, and then what we say in the end is we're. Um, of the end price, the farmer's getting seven, you know, about seventy-five percent of it. So, say we're selling, you know, something for a dollar a pound. Chances are we're we're paying the farmer seventy-five cents a pound, um, and we're just kind of we're selling it and obviously distributing distributing it out where it needs to go. So you're kind of like splitting the difference with the farmer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, what we also a good way that I've explained it to some farmers is. You know, if you were going to take the time, because really it's about, you know, the time um, to sell the stuff, and then you were going to take the time to deliver the stuff, and you were going to charge a dollar a pound, I say, you know, you can sell it to us for, you know, 65 or 75 cents a pound, and then we'll sell it for what you were going to sell it. So we'll do that end of, you know, of the equation. And really, frankly, on a Tuesday, it's not what you want to be doing in in July. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. You got to pull the weeds. So, so this is a wonderful thing to hear. Is is you kind of have bobbled your way now? If you were working from NOFA in two thousand and three, mm-hmm. you've been a farmer. Mm-hmm. You've been a nonprofiteer. Now mm-hmm. you're. Are you a for profiteer? Oh yeah. Well, oh, what's, yeah. so so what what steps have I left out in in your evolution as a food system ninja? And, oh, um, and where are you going to go well, next? You know, um, well, I, I, again, I started the farmers market in my hometown here. That was and first? then also, um, I am a school garden teacher, um, so I work with kids every week. Um, and so, in in that vein, you know, I I just in the past year we. You know, we started what's called the New Jersey Farm to School Network. So, um, so there's certainly lots of things going on 
here in New Jersey, and I'm trying to, you know, kind of help them all along, but also really make sure that, you know, and that's what, what's been exciting for me about this distribution business is to really focus on it and really make sure it happens. Um, a lot of times with the nonprofit work, you're, you're educating and really, you know, trying to measure your results and, you know, trying to make sure that things are coming of your work. But with, with this, I'm focusing, you know, and I can tell you that we, you know, we paid the farmers $200,000. We did this. We did that. So it's, it's good to have this tangible thing to really uh, sink my teeth into. But then if you're in the community, and it sounds like you're really a ferocious New Jersey community food system building type of person. Mm-hmm. It does feel like there's things that are not as easily to quantify, right? And um, and goals which need to be need to be um, worked on for many different angles. Mm-hmm. So you've been mm-hmm. you've been many different ways that you're working on this. Right, right. And what's next? What's next? Um, well, what's the next big project on your horizon? Oh, uh, that's um, well. I mean, I will continue to. <sighs> you know, build Zone 7. Um, each year we've kind of um, added new things. I mean, even, you know, in year two, we had we were able to purchase a refrigerated truck. Um, the first year we, again, um, borrowed a truck. So this year, rather than just storing all the produce in our truck overnight or asking for a favor from random farms or restaurants, we're... We'll be leasing refrigeration and a loading dock. So step-by-step, step, we're growing that business. Um, but there's certainly other things on the horizon. Um, in my opinion, you know, here in New Jersey, like there's not, and, and in my area, which is central Jersey, it's um, outside of Trenton and Princeton, um, A, there's not that many great grocery stores Mm-hmm. with, you know, local farm fresh food. Um, obviously, there's restaurants that are buying local. Um, but really, after I was, after I was farming in Italy um, on an agriturismo, which is um, agritourism where you can go out to the farm and um, there's lodging and maybe a restaurant. Um, since I've come back from Italy, I knew that I wanted to start a farm with a restaurant on the farm. Um, yes. One of my, my one of my older brothers is a chef. The other one makes wine. Um, so we are slowly but surely um, getting the getting the uh, getting pieces lined up together. for that. It sounds like you're getting your skills together as a family. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, you know, and then something else that you and I have talked about is young farmers and training young young farmers. Um, and so even though I have less time to think and devote to that, you know, I'm still very much, um, you know, every time I have time to think about it, I'm excited <laughs> to, um, you know, figure out uh, ways to effectively train young farmers. Um, and so an idea that I put out there, you know, to the world, and, and I'm always looking for, you know, partners that can really kind of, um, help actually make these things happen is to start a practical farming institute, you know, a three-year 
farming program where, you know, where, where the teachers are the best farmers, you know, in the state. And a lot of times maybe the older farmers um, that might be kind of spending less time doing the physical labor on their own farms, but obviously have years and years of experience to pass on. Um, so anyway, so that's an and idea. So kind out. of like um, in a state-by-state level, you're imagining this um, as a kind of a land, like a land grant, like a practical land grant, or through community colleges, say? Well, and you know, it could be... Accreditation for, for farmers? It could be, I mean, it could be associated or affiliated with the land grants, but at the same time, um, I'm not sure that we have the time to necessarily wait around for land-grant universities to come to this realization. Um, You know, I've spoken with, you know, I won't mention names, but I've spoken with, you know, heads of different land-grant universities and you know, they, they, they understood what I was saying, but whether they were willing to act on it was a different story. So I said, you know what, um, with or without you, we need to do this. Um, so I have, you know, I have no problem starting them as, as private institutions. Now, one thing, um, I've just been reading a wonderful book that I would mm-hmm. like to recommend to everyone, and, and which is an interesting model for what we're talking about. And it's mm-hmm. a book called um, Fruits of Victory, and it's about the Women's Land Army that was formed in World War One to mm-hmm. um, bring farm workers, essentially, uh, farm workers to the fields when all the men, not all the men, but many of the men were sent off to war. And America was at that time really um, a critical food supply for for the European allies in World War One, mm-hmm. And kind of very few... And it was organized mostly by women, um, but very few women were at, at the beginning of it um, conceiving of this important program. And within a year and a half, they had 42,000 trained um, farm workers deployed wow. in uniform with beautiful songs and press releases and posters and work camps and all the whole paraphernalia that goes wrong with, you know, unleashing an army of, of workers. Mm-hmm. And it was organized you know, in, in a time of war and in the spirit of war um, and by many people who, um, you know, might in times of peace not orient their minds um, along the kind of a patriotic and productive um, avenue. But it really made me think, just been reading this wonderful book and made me think, wow, you know, what if we had a Rodale in every state and that right. Rodale was just churning out train people trained in, 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 in weed management and people trained in, you know, CSA management. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really great to hear you with a vision. Yeah, wait, so how, so big. in this book, I mean, how do you train 42,000 people in a year and a half? They, well, it's amazing. They set up camps, mm-hmm. kind of like YMCA camps or summer mm-hmm. camps, mm-hmm. and people would go. Um, and they often were using old, like, um, like summer colonies or, you know, they're up in the Catskills, there's a whole bunch of these camps that are like, Irish and um, other kinds of um, retreats. Mm-hmm. They have lots of little cabins, and then mm-hmm. they would get them up in the morning, and they would teach them first aid, and they would teach them, um, you know, how to tell a ripe fruit from a not ripe fruit, and um, they would do all these exercises. Wow! And there's great photographs. So That's they would awesome. essentially train them for like two months, mm-hmm. and then they would organize um, again logistics, 
Hmm. They would organize from one central depot um, to send these women two or three or five at a time to different farms. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one in California, the, the, the communities where the land armies were placed, the um, consortium of growers, in this case the consortia that were defined by the packing houses, mm-hmm. so the packing house would go in to build the camp for the women to stay in because mm-hmm. they had to build nicer facilities because it was run by, you know, kind of, college Barnard-type women who, mm-hmm. who had all these, like, very progressive ideas about sanitation and equality. And so they had to build these camps. And the growers would invest in the camps, and they would, in, in many cases, plant... Um, they said, for every 500 women, we would plant 5,000 more acres of tomatoes. Wow. So, you know, it's a lot of, peop- it's a lot of um, people that they were moving around. Anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's not necessarily um, that that these are that these are pipe dreams. Oh because, no! But but, but do you, where do you feel like that awareness is growing? I mean, do you well, think it's you know, growing? I mean, the, the reason I don't think it's a pipe dream is because you know, and this was the kind of the um, the inspiration for this for this idea for me was like I said, one of my brothers is a chef, so I was in. I was in a restaurant um, of some of our friends, and on the wall it was a diploma for this husband and wife, and one was from the CIA, Culinary Institute of America. And so it hit me, you know, you know that to be a chef these days is, is a very popular thing. Um, and m- many of them decide that, you know, they want the prestige, you know, and the, the value the educational value that, that comes with going to a place and knowing that you're going to be taught the basics. You know, and of course you're then going to have to go out and spend some time working in real kitchens to, to kind of fully hone your, hone your, your craft, but, but really to, get, to know that you're going to get the foundation at a, a trade school. Um, so it hit me like a brick. How are we going to not only, you know, sustain agriculture in this country, but how are we going to make it so that it's a thriving industry and so that it's a really respectable and honor, honorable uh, uh, trade to go into for young people? You know, I think, I think we want those kinds of institutions that, um, that have that kind of, you know, just call it, there's, there's just kind of like an appeal to it, um, and that when you graduate, um, you know, there's a little bit of prestige. You know, I graduated from such and such, and then people know that you know the basics about farming. Um, of course, everybody has their, their strong suits, but, but I think there's a huge opportunity there. Well, Rather it than, does seem like that's been a little bit the trend in the, in the organic movement. I mean, we, I was just at Nova, Vermont, and mm-hmm. for the first time it was at the University of Vermont campus, and, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> having that whole, and you know, um, Agricultural Secretary Vilsack was there, and we right. were in this great big hall that was really a proud space, you know, singing very funny proud songs about um, bugs, mm-hmm. and it really, it really felt like um, the movement had grown into the space. Wow! And it was, it was really resonant, and and similarly, you know, you see the situation now. Um, Farmer mentors around the country are coming together and mm-hmm. putting their heads together at these conferences and saying, "Listen, we have too many applicants for our apprenticeships, right? And you know the demand is just too much. We can't continue to meet it in an informal 
kind of um, distributed fashion. We really mm-hmm. need to build institutions to yeah. to address these needs. And, right, right. And, well, and, and those institutions, thing. you know, we have precedent for them. I mean, we right. have FFA, we have 4-H, we had the Grange system. Mm-hmm. You know, there were um, many more venues for this kind of learning to, to and, and socializing to take place. It just seems like a time now to to rebuild them. Mm-hmm. So what's going to be the name of your institute? Well, um, you know, I mean, I the way just in in my in my thinking about it, um, I I would be happy to call it the Practical Farming Institute, and then have there be satellite locations all over the, all over the country, and in this case, ours would be Garden State. That's it. Garden State Farm Practical Farm Institute. Right. So you know, yeah. I mean, I guess what is it? There's there's um. In New York State, there is SUNY Binghamton. There's SUNY this. So in this case, it's Practical Farming Institute, you know, and you went to Garden State. Um, because obviously, you know, if you know, you, if you know where you want to farm, you know, you don't want to learn about farming in California and then, and then actually dig in in New Jersey. I mean, it's a completely different climate. Um, Although so, that's what a lot of people are doing these days. Mm-hmm. People from all over the country go to Vermont and California to work on hotshot organic farms. Right. And then they go back to Missouri or Kansas or wherever. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you've got to spend a few years figuring out your own, your own climate. Yeah. So, so that's why I like that idea. I, I mean, in this case, I want to see it happen. I'm, this is not like a um, part of the, the, the for-profit, um, this for-profit scheme of mine. Um, most importantly, I want to see it happen, so I'm happy to partner with anyone and everyone that, you know, that wants to start these in their own place. All right, listening audience, you heard it here first. Yes. If you want to get in touch with Mikey mm-hmm. and talk about starting an institution of higher learning for the uh, agrarian arts, um, how do we get in touch with you? What's best your way website? Is prob- best way is probably email. It's simply Mikey, M-I-K-E-Y dot A-Z-Z-A-R-A, my last name at gmail.com, so mikey.azara at gmail.com. And or just look me up, website? Zone 7. Sorry? Yeah. What is your website for those of us who want to know what, what Zone... And what is Zone 7 named for, anyway? Well, so zones, so, so the website is www.freshfromzone7.com, and, um, and Zone 7 is the plant hardiness zone for... Most of New Jersey and Eastern Pennsylvania, and um, for any of you that disag- you know are, are saying no, wait, I don't think there's Zone Seven. Um, you need to look at the new map um, in 2000. So in 1990, USDA did a map of the plant hardiness zones. That one says that New Jersey is more like 6A or B. But in 2006, the National Arbor Day Foundation redid the map with new data and. Um, and basically change the map, and yes, it's it's getting warmer. So we are now Zone 7. Golly Moses. Which I think has a better ring to it <laughs> for a business purpose. Well, it is business, and that's one of the things. It's a movement. It's a force. It's a gorgeous um, gorgeous way to spend your life's energy, but it is also a business, and um, we thank you for making your business a part of the solution. Of course. Yeah, no. My 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 pleasure. I mean, what I say about Zone Seven is that it is not just a distributor. Um, you know, we are trying to do everything that we can to obviously, you know, get the stuff from farms to restaurants and grocery stores and schools, but also, 
you know, on our website, we're working on is profiles of all the farms. We're, we're doing profiles of all the chefs and restaurants and grocery stores, so we can promote them too. You know, we're doing you know Zone Seven dinners on the farms where we connect, you know, the public with these farms, and we connect the public with all these chefs that are trying to do the right thing. So, you know, we're, we're going, going we're going above let's, and beyond. Let's, let's give um our 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 parting words. Let's dedicate them to. Um, Somebody who's just starting to think about how they could get into the food business and where you think that um, they should look for either uh, inspiration in the world of the books and the, and the people who write books or where they could um, start to hone their skills. What would you, what would you guide a new, a new um, food world business person to do? Okay, parting words would be when I was leaving Italy, and this is maybe this isn't as as specific as you or others might like but when i was leaving italy the farm manager said to me in italian he said if you know what you want to do go right after it and you will be happy <laughs> and i feel like that's what i've tried to do in coming back here um you know so that's what i would say to everybody else is i mean the hardest part is figuring out well, what do i want to do but but if you have some idea what you want to do in the food system i would say go right after it there is genius in boldness. Thank mm-hmm. you, Mikey, for joining us. Thank you all for joining us. This has been Thank another you. installation of Greenhorn Radio. We are, um, as usual, here on Thursdays, sponsored by Hearst Ranch. Um, we're having an upcoming presence at the Just Food Conference in New York City. Um, I'm going to be there uh, moderating a panel about CSAs and um, talking with some CSA farmers about how they experience that configuration um, on their farm and how um, others who may be interested to start CSA should prepare themselves. So we'll see you there, and we'll see you again next week for Greenhorns Radio. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.